there's still hard times right right, right now. Right. But what I see now is, huh, I wonder what I'm going to learn out of this. I love that. Oh, that's such a great frame. And I forgot, I'm not going to get this wrong. I forgot who said, you know, hard times are what really is what life is about. Yeah. The other is just like, you know, icing on a cake, right? The cake is the hard stuff. It's when you weather that, yeah. that's, you know, um, really what life is about, how you weather that. And so asking yourself, what am I going to learn from this? Or how am I going? What are my takeaways that are going to make me continue to make me who I am? Because I hope we never stop growing and learning. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Fully Alive podcast. There's a season in our life for everything, including a season for healing and reflection. In this very authentic conversation, Laura and I discuss her passions for supporting nonprofit organizations and how we show up when life delivers some very challenging circumstances. Laura is the co-founder and principal of The Intrinsic Group. She teaches as an adjunct assistant professor at the USC Suzanne Dwork Peck School of Social Work and as an adjunct instructor at the USC Sol Price School of Public Policy. Laura is also the executive director of the Small and Gutsy nonprofit organization. I know you're going to enjoy this conversation. Hello, my name is Mary Maduna Gross, and you're listening to Fully Alive, the podcast for conscious entrepreneurs who are hungry to live their purpose, expand their impact, and create with ease. I am delighted to welcome you all, and especially Laura, to this conversation uh, for the Fully Alive podcast. Laura, um, thank you so much for making the time to be here. I am just delighted to be able to spend the next few minutes with you. Oh, Mary, I'm the one who's delighted. You are my first interview about um, Small and Gutsy and anything else you want to ask me. So to me, it's an absolute privilege because I'm usually in your chair. Yes. Now I get to feel the anxiety of when I interview folks. I do I deserve every bit of those? But thank you. Absolutely. Absolutely. So as Laura mentioned, she is the uh, host for the Small and Gutsy podcast. And we're going to hear about that in a minute. But we also, uh, we're going to talk about life. And uh, Laura and I connected about a year ago. And a lot has happened in both of our lives since then. So we're probably going to sprinkle in a bit of that. Um, but what I love about Laura is that she really is about giving. This whole spirit around conscious entrepreneurship, um, in business to make the world a better place. And in order to do that, it's all around collaboration. And from the very first time that I connected with Laura, I felt this instant uh, connection with you. I kind of felt like we, our missions were aligned, um, although you're doing it in a slightly different way than I am. Uh, I think we're we're really on the same mission. So that's why I really wanted to be able to share this with the audience today, because while we don't usually talk about nonprofits, um, and that's definitely part of this conversation around conscious entrepreneurship and and making the world a better place. Yeah, I love that. So, Laura, tell us a little bit about you. Let's get to know you a little bit before Ooh. we get into small empathy. Well, Mary, you and I instantly connected and we were like, oh my gosh, we got to do something together. This is so great. And then I got breast cancer, which we'll talk about in a minute. And I still worked through all of that, but I had to pick and choose the things that I could really spend time on. I was teaching and consulting and 
continuing the podcast and I'll talk about that in a minute. But I started out as a for-profit, just a podcast like everybody else. Uh, my focus, because where it initiated, where it really came from was my doctoral work. I finished my doctorate in two, December of 2018. So 2019, I started working with nonprofits and it was really on messaging and smaller organizations because I focused in that arena primarily because nonprofits can't use public money to market. And, um, and donors don't like to give money for marketing purposes, but I can't think of a business and a nonprofit is a business right on the face of this earth that doesn't market in order to sustain themselves. Right. It makes no logical sense. Okay. So I use some of Edward Deming's work, um, on continuous improvement, the Toyota way, that concept. And I shifted it to thinking how can nonprofits use resource. And I thought social media. So then I coined the phrase gamifying engagement. I actually trademarked it. And I had a method of using his iterative process, but around messaging and making it into a game, whether it was a high-tech game or a low-tech game. So what I mean by that is most folks who work in nonprofits know what their specific job is, but they don't always know how to sell the organization because they're busy working with clients. They don't think about donors and they don't always have access, but they also don't recognize that they're ambassadors and have a huge network. And so basically, I think I wanted to get the, a sense of messaging that everyone could buy into. And then anyone in the organization could talk about the organization from a from really a, a messaging standpoint, whether it was a tagline, whether it was some written work. And so there's you could hang up a post-it, a huge post-it paper in a break room when, you know, we were before COVID and write down five words that makes you think of the organization. And then you build stuff around that. And that's a low-tech version. Sure. A high-tech version, which isn't even high-tech, is you use social media, which now we've exploded. This is, you know, before COVID, um, where you'd ask a question, like, and engage people. And the more engagement you have, it's an opportunity to market. And so nonprofits don't have any problem getting clients and they can use dollars to do that and to, you know, um, be able to do what's called outreach, but they really, they're not allowed to use it for marketing purposes. So my goal was to help them. And then I started to work with clients post my doctorate. I was having a ball and yeah. then COVID hit. And most of my clients were the smaller nonprofits and social impact organizations are like, we don't know how we're going to keep the doors open and we don't know how to feed people. Nice. So um, then I thought to myself, I worked on contract for one of my clients for about 10 months um, in the big sort of data space. It was international. It was a nonprofit. They were a great organization, still are. And, um, and after that contract, I thought, what am I going to do while we're still in the midst of COVID for these clients who are having a hard time, you know, reaching out, but they're not going to spend time on marketing when they're worried about how they're going to feed their clients. So um, I thought, okay, the biggest bang for the buck is doing a podcast to try to reach as many people as I can. So I targeted those under 10 million. My doctor was really much smaller in terms of sort of target group. And I also include for profits that have a social impact because I think like you, mm -hmm. good people who are really trying to impact the world are people I want to hang around with. So not only do I want to learn about their passion, um, but it has been one of the most beautiful journeys I can ever share with you. I uh, recently turned it into a nonprofit so that I could raise a little bit of money to continue to pay for um, social. I, I do my own social media right now, but pay for um, 
for uh, my sound engineer, um, pay for my web presence, which is actually my consulting uh, group, but I have a small web presence for small and gutsy. So it's growing, but it's growing little bits at a time. And primarily because, um, as I mentioned, I got a little shocker uh, last fall. Now it's been a year uh, where I was diagnosed with breast cancer. And my immediate thing to do was I actually had a friend of mine who pushed me to get an ultrasound. I always had mammograms. I didn't know that dense breasts were harder to diagnose without an ultrasound. So I went to my physician at the time and he said, oh, you don't need, you know, you, they're just watching it for six months. You can't get back in. And um, so I had to wait the six months from when they saw something that said, oh, it's benign. It's nothing. It's you have dense breasts. Don't worry about it. But I never had an ultrasound. So I had an ultrasound and sure enough, they said, we're going to biopsy this. And sure enough, it came back as uh, invasive lobular carcinoma, which is a tricky kind of cancer. And so sadly, with all my other tests, I had to have chemotherapy, radiation, um, uh, well, surgery first. I had a lumpectomy and then I had chemo, radiation, and then now I'm on two different types of medication to take every ounce of estrogen. All we want is estrogen and I had to take every ounce of estrogen. And I was so low risk. So I started a mini little campaign during October when I was, when it was conclusive right before I had surgery. Uh, to get as many women who know that they have dense breasts to make sure they get an ultrasound, because that really is one of the ways, besides an MRI, which is much more expensive and much more invasive and you have radiation, an ultrasound, there's nothing harmful about it. And it's a very inexpensive exam. In fact, I had to pay for my initial one because my doctor didn't, he gave me the referral, but they wouldn't necessarily approve. And then they, when I came back, that they were like, okay, we'll pay for everything. So I can joke about it now because I feel like my energy is coming back. But uh, I would not wish this on anyone. And I know I'm lucky compared to a lot of people and unlucky in other ways. And um, but I'm incredibly grateful that I had a mini little platform um, by which to use. And I'll probably, you know, talk about it again this next October just to do a shout out for women to make sure they get these diagnostic exams because the earlier you detect something, the better the prognosis is. And the, the medicines and things that they have are so good. I'm, I mean, I'm not fully out of it yet, but I believe that I will, um, that I will be okay and I'll live, you know, hopefully another, you know, 30 plus years. Let's hope. We'll see. Um, but it does, it does do a number on you. Um, physically and emotionally and all the rest of it. So probably more than you needed to know on the, on the podcast. Not, no, not at all. I mean, in fact, that's, that's why we have these conversations because, you know, when you do a podcast like this is for conscious entrepreneurs and, and it, we tend to just talk about business kinds of things, right. which is more of the traditional kind of, of business uh, entrepreneur, right? So we're talking about strategies and those kinds of things. And and that's really one of the reasons why I made the shift back in the spring from the Consciouspreneur podcast to the Fully Alive podcast um, so that we could really talk about the who that's behind mm-hmm. business. Yeah, because I really that. believe that the who, is, the, the business is a reflection of the who. And so if we're not seeing what we want to see in our business, if we come back to us, we don't have to fix the business. Right. It's so we don't true. Have to fix us. We don't even have to fix us. But we can remove the barriers from within ourselves. A hundred percent. And 
you know, it's funny because I, I think do I love doing the podcast and it is pro bono for every guest. They don't pay for a thing. They can have all the materials. They can post it. They can do what they want. Um, but it is such, I believe in the reciprocity of giving. I get from giving. Um, and I love to give because I get so much out of it. Um, do I still have to figure out a way to fund it and do the financial stuff and think about the paperwork and much more to do with, you know, from a nonprofit perspective? Absolutely. And it's a headache. And do I like it now? I don't like that part. But what I've gained from doing the podcast is I have met some of the most interesting people around the world who are doing work that I think is magical. It helps other people, whether, again, they can be for-profits that make a huge difference um, or or nonprofits, and I interview both. And they, I like them under 10 million because once you get to be five or 6 million, actually, you can hire your own, you know, marketing sure. folks. But the smaller ones struggle with raising their visibility and spreading their networks. And for people who are looking for a job, wanting to volunteer, maybe wanting to invest in if it's a for-profit or donate to, they can do this because they've heard this podcast. Yeah. And um, it's I've just been I've been moved by what other people do. Sometimes I think maybe it's because I can't land in one solid area. So I love learning about all of these things. Uh, but I want to believe that it's um, because each organization in and of itself is so unique and such a contributor and it fills my soul. I always feel energized. In fact, I did one the other day that hasn't gone out yet. I am doing some volunteer work for them through another channel of uh, mine. And um, and one of the guests said, I bet you, how do you spread yourself so thin? Do you volunteer for every single organization you interview? And I said, I wish I could. Um, I really wish I could. I find them to be amazing. But of course, I can't. Uh, but I think one of the things I get to do is I get to do a podcast for them. Isn't that amazing? And what you're saying, too, about guests and the opportunity to explore things with guests uh, and, and have conversations with guests that I would never have otherwise had a conversation with. Yeah. Uh, so for that reason, I also love doing the podcast, I like being the host of the podcast mm -hmm. and sharing those messages, um, those stories. You know, as you were describing stories, one of the things that was coming up for me is uh, an awareness that I'm coming, I, I justify this by saying I come from education background, right? Mm -hmm. And so for me, a, a good lesson has a clear objective and, and clear uh, uh, activities that are going to lead to the objective. And then there's a conclusion and a summary and, and kind of like cementing everything in together. And I, I still find myself in that rather rigid format. And in fact, mm -hmm. I was working on a lead uh, generation thing this week and I kept trying to jam something into this um, lead magnet. And then I saw somebody else's lead magnet and mm -hmm. I read theirs and I thought, oh my gosh, this is what I'm, I'm doing. I'm trying to teach over here. And that's not my, my job. My job is to tell a story. Right. That's such a great, that's so right. Has, and so once I said, oh, my God, you don't have to teach anything. This is just about telling a story. Now, what's the, the point of your story? We can, we can still have our objective. Right. Of course. Uh, and you need to. Right? right. And it needs to make a difference. I mean, if that's it needs to make a difference to you and to others. And so how do you craft that? And it's not for me, it's not a manipulation 
I think what you're talking about is an honest, genuine integrity in how you approach the work, whatever the work is. And the work can be, you know, in the finance world, it doesn't have to be. But if you're conscious about how you approach it and then how you think about it, I teach at USC and I'm uh, teaching in the policy school. And actually, I love this, ha- this course that I teach because I ask students, they're going to get into groups on a social issue they care about. And the first part of it, and I created this aspect of it, which I'm really proud of, is they, they have to write a memo, a short, concise memo on to the class and to me about their recommendation is to study. And this is the hardest, one of the hardest assignments for them because they want to talk about the social issue. They don't want to talk about the objective of the memo, which is this should be one of our five topics over the course of the semester. So I keep them, I give them examples and so on and so forth. But what I'm asking them to do this coming week is I'm asking them to do a pitch. Okay. Because you have to get a group of at least four other people who are really interested in your social issue. And I decided this is the first year I'm going to do this. And I did work through my cancer treatment. And I don't know if I was as enthusiastic as I feel right now. So this is going to be interesting for me to see the change this fall. <clears throat> but I decided I'm going to do a pitch. Okay. So I have a social issue. I'm going to do a pitch for them. They don't have to join. They don't have to do mine. They don't, I just want to demonstrate both a hook and you have to answer the question. This is to your point. Who cares? Yeah. I have, I care. And I know that I care about this particular issue, but why should anyone else care? You know, years ago, I um, worked in the HIV world, HIV prevention as both a consultant, a supervisor, um, not in direct service, but really as a consultant. And I was, um, it was a, a wonderful, amazing experience. And I worked on some grants. It was great. And I had friends in my social world who said, why would you do that? You're, you know, married, you have kids, you're, you know, you're not in that world. And I said, you're kidding, right? It's a public health issue for everyone. If we don't eradicate or control this in some way, it hurts everyone. And I'm part of everyone. And I feel that way about COVID. Of course, COVID was pervasive in a very different way. But there were groups of people, and I'm not going to comment politically at all, but you have to do your part, whatever your part is to help society. We live in an environment where we do pay taxes, where we should look out for our neighbor, and we all want the same things. We want to live in a safe place. We want good schools. We want access to food. We want access to healthcare. I mean, it's not rocket science, but we make it hard for ourselves. You do. So, sorry, long-winded answer, long-winded response. But yeah, it's really about... When you talk about building a curriculum or trying to find a a sales funnel or kind of what's the, you're so right. It's what's the compelling story. And if I don't believe in the compelling story, nobody else is. And I have kind of a funny story to share. Early, early in my work life, in my 20s, I didn't know what I was going to do. And I had the opportunity to live in New York City um, right from college, undergrad. And I, I worked for a sheet and towel manufacturer in sales and marketing. Okay. Hilarious me selling sheets and towels. Okay. No. I, I learned the ropes and it was a great experience in a lot of ways. But it, it was often, I had to find a way to care about sheets and towels. Like it wasn't my thing, right? Yeah. And what I realized when I would go, because I had a smaller market because I was a newbie, I would go into these retail stores and talk to buyers and this is how they survived. They wanted the product on their shelf for a short period of time and off their shelves. So once I got in the head of that it mattered to them, then I could figure out a way 
that it mattered to me because it was their livelihood. Yeah. And so I shifted that thinking versus do I really care about sheets and tails? I mean, people do, don't get me wrong, sure. but I, it wasn't my wheelhouse, uh, but it was a great experience. And then the same is true inside the organization to value the administrative and support staff, whereas a lot of people would never get their orders in on time because they were frankly rude to the yeah. people who were doing the admin work. And I was, I mean, I'm a Midwesterner, I'm a pretty polite person usually, but I was, I, and I didn't do it in a manipulative way. I really honored the role they were in because I didn't want to do that. And I ended up befriending folks because I saw them and cared about them and valued what they did. Yeah. That's part of the beauty of really something that matters to you. You try to figure out in somebody else why it would matter to them. Right. Uh, and if it doesn't matter to you, but it's a job that you have to do because you got to, you know, put food on the table, then you go through that same method of, you know, how do I figure out why it matters to them? And then maybe you find another job or move on, which is what I did because I knew it wasn't a long-term fit for me, but I, it was a great experience. You know, uh, so there's so much there that I want to come back to. Um, one of the words that you've used often here is belief. You had to, and I'm somewhat translating here, but you had to make uh, towels and sheets mean something to you. You had to believe yeah. in the importance of mm -hmm. towels and sheets. Mm -hmm. Couldn't have done that. There's no way that you would have been able to sell anything. Unless, and again, again I think this kind of comes back to that conversation around um, conscious entrepreneurship versus traditional entrepreneurship, which the marketing is often very manipulative and and um, right. I don't know how else to describe it. I think that's good enough. Yeah. And I think a lot of us that define ourselves as conscious entrepreneurs do struggle with that part because we don't want to be the manipulative marketer that we all despise. Right. Right. Um, we all get the the willies from. Um, so what I hear you say is, is when I'm finding what, what is it that I can believe in? First of all, that's mm -hmm. what that right? And so now if I believe in towels and sheets and I believe that these towels and sheets are going to make your life better, mm -hmm. and it probably would be really hard for you to argue with, with my, my message. Even if I don't have the right words, even if I'm not putting them in the right order, that's a good point. You're, you're responding to my energy. You're not responding to my words. The words right. help move it along, I think. Right. I think, you know, you're so right. I think hopefully, folks, I believe this is true. I've, we all know when we've been treated differently, when we've been treated not in the way we want to be treated. We've, many of us, you know, have had that experience. And so if you don't ignore that and you think about, okay, I want to go with someone that has more of a genuine approach, even if it's something that seems like not, you know, a very conscious entrepreneur mm -hmm. way of thinking, but it still means something to someone out there because they're trying to make a living. And so when you put it in the context, as you're talking about, it is finding meaning in whatever you're doing and knowing that you can change what you're doing over time. You may not be able to do it right away but you can over time. So I, I love that point too, because I've got a new website coming out here in the yeah. next uh, week or two. Great. Um, a new name uh, is Plena Vita, which means full life, which is uh, I love alignment that. with this podcast as full mm -hmm. life. Mm -hmm. um, 
And, and there was part of me, and in fact, I brought this story to one of my support group. Yeah. And I was criticizing myself for, well, you know, here Mary goes again, a new name, um, uh, a new, new website and all of this. And I'm thinking on the technical side, what a pain in the neck it is to, you know, right. set all of these things up. And, and I added, I said, but, you know, every time I've done this, it's because I've had a significant upgrade. Right. Think about, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so my friend says back to me, well, Mary, because I'm saying like, this is it. This is the last time I'm not changing my name. I'm not doing this anymore. And he goes, Mary, if you're telling me that every time you've changed your name, it's because of a significant upgrade, why would you not want Keep going? Right. Consider the possibility. Not that you right. have to. You know, right. But that door open. Who knows what's going to happen? Right. Even, you know, if you look at some of the bigger companies, I mean, you can even take Starbucks. They first went with the name. They've kept the name. But if you really look at some of their advertising now, they just have to have the green and yeah. a circle and people know what it is. Yeah. So that in the world of when I've sort of explored this in my gamifying engagement and consulting with clients, um, we call it an iterative process. It's not the first time out that you get the, the, the gold start. Now you may get it and it may be great, but I can't think of any organization that has survived through different, both technological and social changes that hasn't iterated in some way or another. I mean, my whole podcast is an iteration out of necessity because I wanted to keep doing something in a space that was taken up by, um, by great need that I couldn't, I couldn't do anything about. So because of COVID, people were not doing marketing in the same way. They were just trying to like survive. And so I believe in that iterative process. And speaking of which, we recently changed our tagline. So I haven't changed on everything, but I love it. And I love the process I went through with my board very quick. Very, it was sort of like the, you know, the messaging piece. And we came up with spreading social impact rather than big little social impact sector, which meant something to me. But as yeah. one of my sons said, I don't really know what sector means. I don't really know what, you know, what? Um, social sector. So spreading social impact is very clear, three words. And so as things start to change and, you know, I'm going to get T-shirts out and all the rest of it. But I'm thrilled with it. And I, with, I more than anything, I loved the process. Because I don't have to be the one that comes up with it. I want to be involved in the brainstorming and the group, sort of the thinking through and playing with it. And actually, I think it was my sound engineer who came up with some of the words too. So it was really fun. He's coming wow. to the board meetings and fully involved, and he's been with me since the beginning. So it's really a labor of love. And um, yeah, I think you should keep iterating. You know, I work. I, work. I, work. I really yeah. like your expression better than iterating, but it's like this is a level of improvement. You kind of, you know, you keep opening doors and they keep, you know, taking you down a path. That's an upgrade. I love that. It's you know, interesting about this again is to me, my whole message, right? So I'm telling my friend this and I'm not going to do this again. It's that little kind of thing is the kind of little thing that keeps us from growing. Oh, you're so right. Our mind doesn't know that I was running this out there and that I'm just really uncomfortable and, you know, I don't, you know, what I have to go through all of this changing again. But to say I'm never doing this again could literally stop me from ever yeah. doing it again. And now I'm boxed into what I have now, which right now feels great. 
But if I'm growing, that could also get to be small again, right? And and tight again. Right. This is how we get ourselves stuck is that we create these rules for ourselves and then we stick to it. And as if, you know, they, they, they came to us from uh, the, on Mount Not High kind of thing. Right. It's so true. And I, you know, it's not to say that something that you absolutely love or a piece of it, you won't bring forward or you won't hold on to. Yeah. And at the same time, what I hear you saying is we can't stay open. And we can't put aside some of our fear, which we all have. Like when you're jumping into something new, what what kind of feedback am I getting? Is somebody not going to like it? Whatever. We all get feedback uh, that we don't always like. Uh, but if we're open to the possibilities, then we don't shut those you know cracks in the door that open up a little bit or the window. We sort of peek inside and say, you know, I'm going to jump in. I, I remember the first time I did a pod, the podcast, Small and Gutsy. I still don't always know what I'm doing. Right. I don't give questions out. As you know, you know, we talked about it. I do have the same um, quick and gutsy questions at the end, which are never usually quick, but we get some pearls. Yeah. And I had never, you know, I've interviewed people as a, I'm a social worker by training. I'm a therapist by training, but don't, haven't done straight therapy. I do consulting and I do, um, you know, coaching and this kind of work that I absolutely love, but I really hadn't been on one-on-one that was going to then be posted to whoever was going to listen. But I just remember thinking, Mary, this is not about me. This is about the other person. And I think when you think about the, the you know, um, upgrading or probably the term wrong, sorry about that, but sort of iterating in some way, it isn't about you. It's about the entity that you've created to help others. Yes. And therefore, it isn't a reflection on you. It's a response that you're having to something in the world that has given you more stuff. Yeah. And that's so I, I, I front loaded a lot of that content early on because I had so many contacts and people were at home and um, they weren't going to, you know, they were working from home. So it was easier to do the podcast on Zoom and so on and so forth. So we had, we produced one a week that first year and it just got overwhelming after a while because then I had to, I also was teaching and working to support the podcast. But I loved, um, I just loved the exploration and I just didn't want to stop doing it. And so it's uh, morphed into a nonprofit, as I've said. And Again, it's pro bono. It's free. Not that anyone would pay, but it's like free marketing. It's not the difference between small and gutsy and internal marketing is internal marketing, of course, is going to say great things about the organization because that's their job. I don't have that job. I get to interview you and it is because I'm not a journalist. I'm not looking for those, you know, oh, my God, where did I get you? When did you wrong? How did but I'm naturally curious about how your program works and how it helps others and what even the for-profit social impacts, what impact do you want to make? And so it's been just a great, uh, it's been a gift for me, yeah. actually. Yeah. So and, and it's amazing too, when you find the work that, that is aligned with your purpose, that it, it is, it feeds you as much as you feed it. For sure. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That. Yeah. And um, and we'll see where it goes. I I love the concept of iteration. We'll see where it takes me. Mm-hmm. Just like yours, you're. I'm so excited that you're launching something that isn't entirely new. It's a packaging 
of something that you hadn't thought of or came to you or from something that you thought this is going to be much more aligned with who I am, which is really what you said. Yep. That's exactly what it is. Well, before we go, so tell me, um, uh, the mission, and if I've heard you correctly, this is, will test my listening skills, um, is really to be that marketing voice for these nonprofit organizations that don't have the marketing dollars. Um, and so this is their, this is your way of helping them get the word out, correct? Exactly. Yeah. And, and they can use the material. They can have the raw material. We always post it. I have an Instagram, small and gutsy. I have a Facebook page, small and gutsy. I try to post on my own personal one to friends who may not be on Small and Gutsy will hear it or whatever. So I do my part and then they can do what they want. I hope they post on their website or send it to all their board members or all their networks to then send it out. Because again, it's not an internal piece. Nobody paid somebody to do this and say, you're great. It's somebody on the outside who discovered them or got, you know, was a referral and said, I'm curious about what you do. I'd love to hear more. Yeah. And so it's really, you know, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, what's interesting is all the people I meet with, they're not professional interviewees, obviously. Right. And so sometimes the conversations go astray, sometimes thanks. And it's my job to sort of pull it together. And I think that's where I have my social work or therapy skills, try to. Yeah. Uh, sometimes I'll have five people on a podcast. I'll be like, oh, this is going to be long and hard to manage invariably, I do fall in love with every organization I interview because I just find it invigorating and energizing and inspiring is probably the word that I would say. And uh, and it really is the whole purpose is an audio journey into this space of social impact of really, whether it's nonprofit or for-profit, really making a difference in other people's lives, whether it's the environment, whether it's homelessness, whether it's addiction. I've done many programs on addiction, Um, whether it is marginalized communities that are trying to get help, whether it's, um, again, you know, on various aspects of um, need that are out there, whether it's food deserts, you know, gardens that are producing green space, whether it's environmental. I did a great one in Peru on bringing fresh water to indigenous populations. And so it was a challenge to even get connected to an indigenous population that would trust a white woman who started this. And uh, it was, you know, it's terrific um, opportunities for people to learn what's out there and what people do. And I think more than anything, of course, that's the most important aspect. But what I really love is the passion that people have to sometimes quit their day job and jump in and do this because they have a calling. And I see you in the same bucket, even though it's, you know, the social impact you're trying to make is being really connected to your soul of what you're meant to be. And you're in that same bucket of integrity and being genuine and really trying to help people find what they're meant to do, whatever it is. And I think there's nothing better than revealing that and seeing that. It's, um, it's, a, it's beautiful, frankly. Thank you. And yeah, and I'm glad that I um, have grown, through, had my own growth journey so that I can now embrace this. Yeah, of course. You know, it's interesting that you say that. I think we all are on that journey. And so we have to have had something in our lives that brought us to this place. 
And I think it's, um, you know, it's how things get started and how things are often successful. I think entrepreneurship has also taught me um, to have a whole new relationship. And I'm going to say failure, uh, for lack of a better word, but are things not going the way that I think they should? Again, I, um, I'm a recovering control freak. I'll yes. rant with that. <laughs> yeah. And I was supposed to figure everything out and set everything up so that it's easier for everyone. And, and I'm just realizing that that's not what needs to happen. Clarity of event is important. Mm -hmm. um, having your value, knowing what your values are so that you're in alignment with your values as you start to implement. Yeah. And really leaning into the energy uh, around the implementation. And, and like right. we're talking about these, uh, these upgrades and, and these kinds of things. If I'm in my head, I'm trying to control it. I wouldn't be where I am in this, where, where I'm at now. Right. That's so true. Because we can't orchestrate Right. And as much as we think we can control things, which I think I'd fall a little bit into that, I think sometimes it's a relief to give up some of that control because in doing so, you're open to what organically might occur that is in fact better than what you might have orchestrated in the first place. And I, I feel like I'm not quite there yet, but people have told me cancer will be a gift. I'm not there yet. I'm going to be honest. Um, where it's been a gift, if I have to put it in that category, is I had a colleague of mine who's also a friend who was diagnosed. And I, after, much after me, I, almost, a, you know, about eight months after I was, and I could totally be there for her. Um, she doesn't live super close, but I could. I remember saying, I promise you will be okay. Now, I can't guarantee that. But just being allowed to say that empowered both of us to go on this journey because it's not an easy journey. And I also think that I, um, I had to ask myself, does this situation really matter enough for me to have to jump in and do X, Y, and Z? Can I let it go? Can I? And I want to stay in that space. And I also had a friend gift me, she's amazing, gift me um, a course that she teaches. And we did one-on-one -on -one in uh, mindfulness. And it's from um, the Herbert Benson Institute. And she is remarkable. And she, I use mindfulness regularly. I actually start my classes with deep breathing because I really believe I've got to stop whatever their crazy life is outside for the little bit of time we have together so we can all be together in the same space. They don't have to participate, but I do it. I do it for me and I do it for the space. And uh, it really, to me, those things have actually now are part of my, I hope, part of my DNA moving forward. And um, I'm yeah. sure. Like, I, I think that, again, it's changing my relationship to hard times. Oh, um, you know, when I was in hard times, I, it would, you know, we get into that funk of there's always going to be hard times and I'm not good at writing all the messages. I'm not good enough. Or I failed here or whatever. Yeah, or, you right. know. And, and now there's hard times. There's still hard times right, right, right now. Right. But what I see now is. Huh. I wonder what I'm going to learn out of this. I love that. Oh, that's such a great frame. And I forgot, I'm not going to get this wrong. I forgot who said, you know, hard times are what really is what life is about. Yeah. The other is just like, you know, 
icing on a cake, right? The cake is the hard stuff. It's when you weather that, that's, you know, um, really what life is about, how you weather that. And so asking yourself, what am I going to learn from this? Or how am I going, what are my takeaways that are going to make me continue to make me who I am? Because I hope we never stop growing and learning. So I, I love that. It's hard you know, I have kids and it's hard sometimes when you see them in a space where you want to go, do it, don't do this, do this, it's going to yeah. be better for you. And so are you, but I've also learned that I can only offer, you know, now I'm at, they're at the age where I can only be a consultant to them. Yeah. I can't control stuff in their lives and stuff's going to happen. Of course, you don't want anything bad to happen to anyone you love. Uh, but I, and I also think that things will happen and I just hope I have the strength and they do to weather whatever it is and move forward. And, uh, so it's, you know, we, we, we move from being fully in charge of our children when they're little to really being consultants. And my sister-in-law once shared uh, something, she'd gone to a lecture and I love this and I keep it in my mind when they're, you know, when they're really little and you're the boss. Yeah. they're sort of adolescence. You're like the manager. You're managing this. You're managing that. Then when they get older and grown up, you're a consultant. And yeah. what's interesting about being a consultant is they can fire you. That's right. <laughs> I keep that in mind. Every time I want to give feedback, I'm like, hmm, they could fire me. Let me ask them if they really want this feedback or what are they asking? So I try to be asking a lot of questions and sitting and listening to their responses. Because of course, I want to be more directive because right. I've been in there, you know, no, no, exactly. Funny. But I love that frame. To that point too, I, what I've come back to is, and, and my grandmother was my model for me. She mm-hmm. believed before I, there was any reason to believe in me, let alone me believing in myself. And so that's really what I come back to is even if I see people aren't doing things the way that I would, or, or I have information that would be different, you know, change things for them. I just trust that they are on the right path, doing the right things, and, and life is unfolding for them at the right time and in the right way. And if they do need or want something from me, they'll ask for it. Right. It's not a direct request, but they'll let me know that there's a need. And if I'm and if I'm paying attention, I can catch that. But if I don't, I can still trust that everything is going to unfold for them the way it should. I so love that for so many reasons. Um, I have a tendency and I've really curbed this in the, you know, recent years in the last probably four or five years, I would be doing a consulting gig prior to COVID. And I had the experience sometimes of, and this is sometimes in social situations too, where I see a pattern or I see something and I'll name it before somebody's ready to hear it. Yes. And that is problematic. Yes. I could be 100% right. It doesn't matter. But if they're not ready, it doesn't matter how right I could be. And I might be, and I, but I'm actually wrong because the timing isn't there for them. Right. And that's what you're talking about is you want to still continue to be an observer and a listener and you know, a, a guide for what they need. But the biggest thing is what they need when they're ready. And you'll know, cause they will let you know. And so in my social relationships, oftentimes I'll say, do you want me to share my 
response or my reaction. And if they say, no, not really, or yeah, or there's hesitancy, I might kind of test the waters, but not really do too much. Because if, again, if somebody is not ready, it's not useful. It actually can be very hurtful. Exactly. And, um, And so I become much more aware of that this is, this is a gift that I have that I love and I need to use it wisely because it's not fair. And I could be wrong and the, because I am wrong because if it's not the right time, then I am wrong. Exactly. That's right. Life and is a lovely way to close this very delightful conversation, Laura. Before we go, um, where can people, if they know of nonprofits and they want to reach out to you or if they have more questions for you, how do they find you? So thank you so much, Mary, for that. And thank you for this amazing conversation. Uh, For nonprofits or social impact organizations that are under 10 million, it's free. Um, It's a free podcast, so they can use the material, you know, in any way that they want to. And they can send organizations or questions to my direct email, which is lwitkoff, which is L-W-I-T-T-C-O-F-F at gmail.com. I'm on Instagram with small and gutsy, uh, without the ampersand, just small and gutsy. And you can find me on Facebook, small and gutsy, um, big little social impact sector. I haven't changed that tagline yet. I kind of like that for the that page. I haven't decided. Uh, but I'm so happy. And it, again, it's free marketing for them. And my hope and goal is to help broaden their networks, to help spread their word for the amazing work that they're doing. And the interviews are similar to this one, Mary. It's just a fun conversation about the work that they're doing. And I learned so much. And for those listening, anybody who just wants to get on the podcast, I'm on all the channels. So I'm on Spotify, I'm on Apple, I'm on Amazon, I'm on iHeartRadio. And listen to an episode that speaks to you because there are so many different topics. And um, and I just enjoy learning and meeting new people throughout this process. I've done some amazing organizations all the way from South Africa to the Amazon to all over the U.S. And so I just, again, I feel like it's an absolute privilege to be a host of Small and Gutsy. Thank you. Well, thank you for having me. Be a host of this conversation as well. Thank you so much, Laura. Thank you, Mary. It was just great. I loved it. Thank you for listening. Are you ready to play and experiment with these ideas so that you too can live your purpose, expand your impact, and create with ease? Join us at Fully Alive on Facebook. We've created this space to explore the effects these practices and principles can have on your own experience. And if you're feeling the nudge to explore what coaching can do for you, send me an email at mary at bluebambooleadership.com. Thanks again for listening. Until next time, be fully alive.